Bibles, would you turn them to Matthew chapter 2? Whenever we have these breaks from our regular, just verse-by-verse exposition through a book of Scripture at Christmas and Easter, I'm always surprised how much more I learn, or surprised by how much I've forgotten the last time I studied the, the narrative. And certainly, as I looked at Matthew chapter 2 this last week, I was once again surprised by how much I've either forgotten or how much I've learned as I looked at this passage. And so I'm excited for us to go through this passage. And our primary text this morning will be verse 6. But in order to set the context, let me read from chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord, and may he bless the reading of it. And just to summarize these 12 verses what we see is the fulfillment of God's promise to come and rescue his people. And God does this in the midst of a tyrannical, wicked king. We see that the Lord brings about his promise to bring his son when things looked as bad as they could possibly be. Now, as I read this, you probably noticed several different things, but I want to point out all of chapter 2 to you just for a moment. It's fascinating, and I hope this is something that you're able to go and take back and study yourself, is just the geography of chapter 2. There's Jerusalem, there's Bethlehem, there's Ramah, there's Egypt, and there's Nazareth. All of that region is covered in just this one chapter. Also... You see that Micah 5 is quoted, Psalm 72, Hosea 11, Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 11. All of these verses are referenced in here to where I came to the conclusion that chapter 2 is in many ways a commentary on Old Testament prophecy. 
It's just simply explaining the Old Testament to us. Not only do we see those direct Scripture references, but we also see pictures of Old Testament events. We see the picture of Bathsheba taking uh, uh, treasures to King Solomon, which was a foreshadowing of the wise men taking gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at Matthew chapter 2 this morning, let's just notice that it is, it is rich in not only geography, but also in Old Testament history. It begins with this context. I mentioned that it's the birth of Christ comes about when there's a wicked king. You see him in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now Herod was basically a king that took power through political maneuvering. He was a wicked person. He was not of the tribe of Judah, which was the tribe of Judah was the rightful tribe for the kingship of Jerusalem. So not only is he a wicked king, he's in, he's in power by political maneuvering, but he's not a rightful king to the people of God. He does not have an actual rightful heir. He's not a rightful heir to the throne of the people. And so let us just get that straight, is that Herod is not a good guy. He's not liked by the people. He does cruel and wicked things to the people. And he's not even a legitimate king. So if you put yourself in the first century, what would it be like to live under a tyrannical king? That's what they were under. And so in the midst of this, you read verse 2, which is shocking. That these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now it's really literally magi. We get our word magic from that. We don't know anything about them. They weren't kings. There might have been three of them. And the reason why we say we three kings of Orient are and sing that song is because they give three gifts, but we really don't know how many there were. But they were wise men of this first century. They were Gentile. They were not Jewish people. And so the Lord reveals to them that the birth of his son has come about. It's interesting that the Lord reveals to these Gentiles that the Christ, the most significant event in history, would come about. He doesn't reveal it to Jerusalem as a whole, for he had told them in his word when he would come. But he tells these Gentiles, and actually this is something that God has done in the past. In Numbers, in chapter 24, there's this interesting character that we come across named Balaam. Balaam was a Gentile. And Balaam was hired by a wicked king to curse Israel. And as he goes to curse Israel, it turns out he blesses them, and he gives this prophecy. It's in Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. That's an amazing parallel is that God reveals himself to the Magi from the east that by a star, the birth of his son, and he did the same thing 
over a thousand years earlier with Balaam, where Balaam says that a star will come out of the tribe of Jacob. It's an amazing thing that we see here that God reveals himself to these magi and the magi follow the star. What was the star? Some people have tried to say that it was a comment or something like that. The text doesn't read that way. The text teaches us that it was something supernatural that was taking place. Much like God led his children in the wilderness by a pillar of smoke during the day and fire by night. God is leading these magis with this supernatural star. In fact, you read in verse 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a comet rest. But that's what the text says. So this is something supernatural that God has brought about to them. And it says this in verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How did they know to look for the star? Maybe they had the Jewish scriptures and they studied them. But we don't know. But we are told this is that God reveals by a star that his son will come. A king will come. And so they're looking for a king. So these pagan Gentiles that do not know the scriptures, not like the Jewish people where they hold them as the very word of God, they are revealed that there is coming a king. They go to search out this king. And when they get to the king, what do they want to do? They want to worship the king so they know there's something special about it. So, the Magi are searching for a king. The Jewish people are searching also for what? A king that will come. They're under a wicked king. They're waiting for a king. And so when Herod gets news of this, Herod says, what does the Bible say? And so they quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is in verse 6. This is a quote from Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, that is, from you shall come a king, one that will rule over us, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now notice what it says here. God's going to send a ruler, and then it describes what type of ruler was coming. Why would God reveal this to them, that a ruler is coming that will shepherd them? And why would this be of comfort to people in the first century? What do we know of wicked rulers? What's it like to live under a wicked ruler? And how can we draw comfort this Christmas that God sends a ruler that will shepherd? I want you to notice a few things about why this is important for us to know. Herod is a paranoid dictator. I want you to look at verse 3. It says, When Herod... The king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem was with him. That word troubled is not really, doesn't emphasize what's really there. 
This is he is disturbed. He is alarmed. This is great mental distress has overcome him. And why? Was it because Jesus was a threat to his power? And the Magi say, we heard there was a king born. We want to come and worship him. So yes, he was a threat to Herod's power. But also Herod knew he was an illegitimate king. And his rule was actually in opposition to God. So he's a paranoid dictator. That's a characteristic of them, of, of wicked rulers. He also rules through deceit. You'll notice in verse 8, he says, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And what do we know about Herod here? He's lying. He wants to wipe out his opposition. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So he rules through deceit. There's another, another characteristic of him. Not only is he paranoid, not only does he rule through lying and deceit, but I want you to notice also this, is that he uses Scripture to justify his own political evil, wicked plans. Notice what it says. When he finds out that the king has been born, in verse 4 it says, He assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. So I want you to notice this. He consults Scripture and uses Scripture for his own purposes. This is a characteristic of all wicked rulers. They will twist Scripture to fit their own evil intentions. One of the early things that Hitler did when he took power was to rewrite the Bible and have a Nazi-approved Bible. Use the scripture. Use the words of the great theologian Martin Luther to justify his own ends. This is what rulers do. Herod consults the scriptures. He uses the scriptures. And he does not even question the veracity of them, but actually twists them to fit his own purposes. You know, recently, a billboard paid by us went up that said need an abortion California is ready to help you know what was underneath that sign it said this love your neighbor as yourself there is no greater commandment than these that is twisting of the scripture to justify wicked evil murderous means now you might not have thought of Christmas in this way why are we talking about this on Christmas but when we read the Christmas story, we're confronted with this reality, is that in the midst of tyranny, God is sovereignly bringing about his plan, and it included wicked rulers. But God is still bringing about his plan in the midst of that. Herod is one such wicked ruler 
Not only have we seen that he's a paranoid dictator, he rules through deceit, he uses scripture for his own evil intentions, but notice also this as he is murderous. He will do all he can to keep his power. Verse 16 says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod, like all wicked rulers, embraced a culture of death. It doesn't matter if it was Mao or Stalin or if it was Hitler if it was Nero, or if it was Herod. Wicked rulers embrace a culture of death and will do all they can to keep their power. So we go back to the first century, we find ourselves oppressed by a wicked false king. The Jews found themselves oppressed by the Romans. But not only that, is there one source of refuge, which was their worship, was corrupted with the false high priesthood that actually had become a political office rather than functioning as mediation before God on behalf of the people. The political scene was marked by bribery, deceit, cruelty, and fear, not just from Herod, but just in general. And not only this is the people feared Herod. You'll notice in verse 3 it says this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him was troubled. Why were they troubled? Because they're afraid of a guy that would send soldiers to go and kill babies in Bethlehem that are under two years old. So, of course, they were troubled along with him. And it's in this climate, I hope that we feel the weight of that climate, when things look their worst, it's, it's there where we see Jesus born in a manger. And where we see that the scribes themselves teach us something about this baby in a manger is that he will rule, that is, he is a king, but what will his rule look like? Will it look like Herod's? Will it be marked by deceit and bribery and wickedness and murderousness? Or will it be marked by something else? We're told what it will be marked by, what our king and how our king will rule, is he will rule as a shepherd. He will come and rule as a shepherd. And now this comes as a promise to Ezekiel 34. And I'm just going to read Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture here for you by going back and forth between Ezekiel and Matthew. We read in Ezekiel 34, in verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. This is a statement where God says, I will personally come and shepherd my people. And he says this, I will come and seek them out. What does Jesus say in Luke in chapter 19, verse 10? I have come to seek and save the lost. But in Matthew... 
We see that the Lord Jesus does this very thing. In verse 36 of chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When God comes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he seeks out his people as a faithful shepherd. Not only will he seek his people out, verse 12 of Ezekiel says this, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. In other words, what this says is this, if we had to summarize what the shepherd will do, the shepherd will come and he will rescue his flock. He will bring salvation to them. He will bring deliverance to his people. And what is it that we see of Jesus in Matthew 1.21? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will what? save his people from their sins. The promise of a shepherd that will come and bring salvation is realized in the Lord Jesus and by that of his name being called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the heart of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he brings salvation that he brings deliverance, that he is a good shepherd, that he brings about forgiveness of sins by his own shed blood. In what seemed like the worst of times, deliverance, refuge, hope, salvation comes in this baby boy born. Not only will he seek them out, he will rescue them. He will bring his sheep home. In Ezekiel 34, 13, it says, And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. He will bring his people home. What did the Lord Jesus do? Well, we read when he returns for the second time what he does. In Matthew 25, It says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He will gather his elect from all the corners of the world, and he will bring them safely home as the good shepherd that the Lord Jesus is. I think this is why we're told in the prophecy of the shepherd from Jeremiah 23, is that we need not fear because of our great shepherd that we have. He will bring you home. But he will also feed us. It says in the end of verse 13 of Ezekiel 34, And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of all of Israel shall be their grazing land. The Lord Jesus' primary ministry was that of feeding his people. 
What is it the Lord Jesus says when he's being tempted in the wilderness by Satan? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He feeds them. Not only does the Lord Jesus feed his people by his word, but he literally feeds his people. He tells his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the birds. Does not your heavenly Father feed them? Will he not much more feed and clothe you? Not only are we promised that he will feed us by his word, we are told that in him we have an abundance in John 10, verse 10. And what is it that the Lord Jesus tells Peter to do when he reinstates him at the end of John? Feed my sheep. The good shepherd feeds his people, but he will also provide them with safety. The end of verse 14 in Ezekiel 34 says, There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. A sheep will not lay down when they're frightened. They can't. It's just like us. When you have anxiety, you can't stand still. You can't sit still. If something's troubling your mind, you can't sleep at night, nor can sheep when they're in danger. They're all jittery. But the presence of the shepherd, they're able to lay down because he provides with them safety. I love what it says of the Lord Jesus Christ as our great shepherd. We read this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 36. Excuse me, verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be known. What I tell you in dark, say in light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The Lord Jesus sends out his disciples in the context of that. And he knows they're going to face trouble. He knows that they're going to face fearful times. And he says, you don't have to have any fear. Don't fear what the world can do. What does Jesus say he has done over the world? Do not fear the world, for I have conquered the world. The Lord Jesus provides safety. But not only that, as he will heal his people. It says in verse 16 of of Ezekiel, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. The Lord Jesus brings healing to his people. You see the Lord Jesus literally healing people. That's that great shepherd. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The Lord Jesus went about healing people 
as the shepherd promised to do. But there's another promise that we should not miss here, and that is this, is that we still receive healing in the Lord Jesus Christ even now. We read this in Second First Peter two twenty four. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, and that is speaking of a spiritual healing. That is speaking of a wellness and a fullness that we receive in the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only is it a spiritual healing that the Lord Jesus Christ promises, but I believe He promises it is a physical healing. And that is when we go to be with the Lord and we receive our new glorified bodies. No disease, no pain, no suffering will ever touch us because our great shepherd brings healing when He comes. What a wonderful truth. Last, we see this. That our great shepherd will institute justice. Let that hang of what that would have meant with a king like Herod over the top of you. He says, I will feed them in justice. The Lord Jesus himself comes as a great shepherd bringing justice with him in a world that we rarely see justice. It's amazing what we read in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He brings justice with him. And on that great day of judgment, he will institute, he will consummate justice fully. And we have to see all of these promises of what the shepherd will do when God says he will come himself, that they're, they're fulfilled in the birth of Christ. But as you look back on the first century, the birth of Christ comes about, Herod's still in power. When Herod dies, his sons stay in power. And when you read the book of Acts, you find that Paul, Peter, John, all of them were still under wicked, oppressive leaders. So what gives? When you look out throughout the history of the church, the great Roman persecutions under Diocletian, what gives? Christians had to hide. We read of the persecuted church on Wednesday nights. And we see that there, there are churches in countries where they cannot meet publicly without fear of persecution. There's more martyrs today in the last 50 years than there has been combined the last 2,000 years. What gives? We see wicked leaders all around us, we see corruption. All around us. So what gives? 
Have we received these wonderful promises? You might look around and see that justice has not been served. And wonder, when will there be justice? When will God make things right? Well, there's something we have to understand what Jesus says about his kingdom. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20, it says this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, I believe and hold strongly to the absolute sovereignty of the Lord. I believe right now the Lord Jesus is ruling as King. I don't believe there's anything that's taking place outside of God's plan. I don't think anything's catching our King Jesus, our great shepherd, by surprise. He's not saying, I didn't see that one coming, I didn't plan for that, but rather all things are happening according to his perfect plan that came about before the world was even created. But it says of his spiritual kingdom, it's inside you. If you're in Christ this morning, His spiritual kingdom is inside you right now. He feeds you by His Word. If you're in Christ, every time you pick up His Word, the Holy Spirit is working through that Word to feed you that Word of Christ. If you are in Christ this morning, that means He has sought you out. Just like He said He would do. Not only did He seek you out, but He has saved you if you are in Christ, just as He promised He would do. And if you are in Christ, you will say that you have an abundance of riches, abundance of riches that material possessions could not put a price tag on. There's something inside that is far greater, something that you can't put your finger on it like you can of material things, you know that inside there is a richness that can never be taken away from you. If you're in Christ this morning, you know this, that the Father will bring you home, that the Lord Jesus will bring you home, that you cannot escape out of His hand. He will bring you home safely. He has you. You're in His safekeeping. And you know that in your heart, one day, all wrongs will be righted and His justice will truly prevail. That's in your heart right now if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit communicates to your heart every day and helps you get through it. All those promises of a shepherd coming are not only fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're true in your heart right now. You see, while we still see that things are bad, and yes, there are wicked people doing wicked things, 
but our hearts are still flooded with the reality of his rule. That he is our shepherd. That he is watching over us. That he is keeping us. That he will not let us go. This Christmas morning, do you know that peace? Do you know that comfort of his coming? Do you have the assurance of his careful watch over you that you may lay down in safety and graze upon his word? This Christmas, let us be comforted that we have a wonderful shepherd that still watches over his flock and he is and will bring us home safely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings through his death upon the cross and that we may be saved by faith and faith alone, not of works. Father, I pray that this Christmas we would be comforted with the truths of our great shepherd, that he watches over us, he protects us and guides us. I pray for any that may not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would come to know that peace and joy that we can have only in Christ this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen.